Right. This is take two of the episode of the Big Issues podcast. Not like last week. We don't explain why, why I had to do take two. Because we did 15 minutes on wealth inequality. It went for too long. So, we're going to be talking about the budget. We're going to be talking about income tax. We're going to be talking about regulatory reform. We're going to be talking about public spending, the deficit, and urban renewal. Me and James obviously here, as always, having a good discussion about the issues that face country this week, of course, it's the autumn statement. And we're going to, is that what's going to go? James is going to do income tax. He's going to do uh, reg, uh, industry policies and and uh, public expenditure. I, I'm going to do, and uh, sorry, he's going to do regulatory reform. I'm going to do the deficit and public spending. Right, come on then, James, let's begin. Okay, so now... What do you think about the one percent cut in the basic rate of income tax? I thought it was a perfectly sen- perfectly sensible move from the Chancellor. I thought that right now in a cost of living crisis, if someone's on twenty to twenty thousand a year, uh, and they get twelve and twenty two and a half grand a year, and they get twelve and a half thousand personal allowance, that person is going to receive an income tax cut. He's going you know, to get ten thousand pounds of taxable income. He's already paying two thousand pounds. He's going to pay nineteen hundred pounds next year. So that's some relief. It's not a massive amount of relief, but at least it's some relief. And I think we're going mm. in the right direction. I think that assistance should vary via income tax cuts, uh, national it's income assistance and welfare programs. One of the three is fine. So I think you did well actually. Okay. Um. So, what do you think is an alternative for those who are now going to pay? Uh, for those below £50,000, which is the 20% tax rate, what do you think is an alternative? Well, I think the alternative... By the way, feel free to mix up the question that we did in take one that was rather good, actually. Um, I think the alternative is this. We should say for those below £50,000, anyone below £15,000 should be exempt from taxation altogether. Fifteen pounds to £26,000, 10%, and twenty six to £50,000, 15%. Right. Now, I know so, you disagree with those rates because I know you believe they're far, far too low. But go on, what's the alternative? Um, the alter- I think I think the rates should be a bit higher. I would, I would add a, I'd, I'd add a bit. Uh, I don't know what, exactly what. I haven't calculated it properly, but I would, I would make them, a, I would make them a tad bit higher than you have. But I mean, you're in the rough. I would say you're probably in the correct ball, ballpark of what the rates what would you should do? be. Would you keep the ten percent rate the way it was, doing twenty six? I think I would, yeah. 15%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%, 26%,
and it was a symbolic tax. It was never meant to be a long-lasting tax. It's been there for 10 years. It hasn't raised money. And I think the abolishing of it, that will raise at least £10 billion, is good. I see no issue with it. I understand the symbolism that in a cost-of-living crisis where the poorest who can't afford to heat their homes with schools with damp roofs, the hospitals with massive waiting 6.7 million waiting lists, is now the right time to give the wealthiest a tax cut? My argument would be yes, because it raises us a lot of money, 10 billions, which we can then use to lessen the pressure on the NHS and the schools and the deficits. Would you not say, instead of getting to the 45% tax rate, you should yeah. just... You should just close down on loopholes, get rid of loopholes, yeah. and then people will be forced yeah. to pay the forty. Wouldn't that be not? I'm not going to say an easy way. It probably take a lot more. It would take a lot longer, and it probably take a lot of legal mm. justification and legal. But wouldn't you think, in, over the long term, talk about 10, 20 years in the future, it could, could tax a rate which they feel seem feasible, and nobody could realistically avoid it. Maybe, maybe, but I think, I don't see really the point of taxing the wealthy too high because they won't pay it. Now you can talk about closing the loopholes and the offshore uh, means of avoidance and you know, I, you know I'm very much for these things. I've been advocating them in many episodes of the Big Issues podcast. But I think the evidence shows and instinct shows that whenever you lower rates, the amount of money the government gets goes upwards because people pay it. And therefore, you actually get the highest amount of revenues required to finance schools and hospitals and the welfare system. So, I, 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 what I said is, we should. What I've said, said in a couple of weeks ago, on one about Bol Simpson, that we should dramatically lower rates, but also close off the loopholes, the deductions, the earmarks, and the avoidance mechanisms, so you can still raise more revenues. Okay. Um, also, I'm going to ask a question that we haven't written down, Dad. Um, the national insurance rate rise mm. that uh, that that was uh, issued in spring of 2022 yeah. is going to be reversed from the 6th of November. Yeah. Um, I think is that is that just for taxpayers in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland? Scotland uh, does it a bit differently. Is I that think, correct? I think so because I think I know Scot yeah. do Scotland. I think Scot oh yeah, Scotland have tax raising powers, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, what's what is your opinion on the national uh, oh. insurance rate freeze? I thought it was a stupid idea for one very simple reason: the national insurance rise was to fund social care, and the way we treat adult social care in this country is a disgrace to the human race. The fifteen-minute care visits, the degrading social care homes, the unqualified care workers on one pound twenty an hour is a disgrace. And I thought the thirteen billion, which was going to be raised from the national insurance rise to fund the social care system, was a perfectly responsible, respectable measure, and I have no grievance with that. I look, I support. Mm. I'm not very. I'm barely for tax increases, except for three instances: when we're at war, when there's a national disaster, or when there's a specific social program that requires a tax increase. In these three circumstances, I'm for tax increases, and. Obviously, the national health and care levy met the third condition. Yeah, um, I think I agree with you. What people yeah. what people seem to forget is that the national insurance people treat the national insurance as just another tax. Yeah. What it is is insurance. It is when you retire, we will give you money. The government is saying we will give you money. When if you if your son becomes ill, we or your child becomes ill, we will help. We will help your child. <laughs> if you if you happen to become ill, we will help you. If you're 
if your if your business if your company you work for goes bankrupt, we will get you a job. If this is this is what this is what the national insurance is promising people. It promises your children will have an education. Your children your children will be able to go to one of the best educational uh, educational uh, systems in the in the Europe and even in the world because of this national insurance. Yeah. Obviously, not all national insurance goes straight to uh, well, NHS. Not all the national insurance goes to well, all that. But it, 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 state, it, it, what, what, what I it is an insurance. That is why it's yeah. called national insurance. It is to ensure you that you will be protected by the government. Yeah. And the cutting of it is not all this lack of increasing or whatever quasi quasi to reversing the rise or whatever he's doing. It's not saying to the British public, we want to save your pocket. What it's saying to you is that we no longer want to ensure your health. We no longer want to ensure your education. And we no longer want to ensure your uh, pensions or your well-being after you retire. That's what he's saying to the British public. Rather than, rather than if he's going to cut something, put something else. Don't cut the one thing that makes this country function like a westernised civilization. Oh, I agree with that, but I also think that the national insurance funds the welfare state, and in the long term, we have to look mm. at alternatives to um, pension savings accounts, social safety savings accounts, etc., so that people can create their own safety net. I think in the long term we have to do that, but I think that the national insurance cut was a silly idea because it was funding social care. And we've got to find yeah. a mechanism to fund adult social care in this country because it's an absolute disgrace. So yeah, yeah. I, but I do agree with your thesis there. It's quite correct that we do have to um, that selective taxes to fund purposes, the national insurance to fund the welfare state, for instance, is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll ask you one more question, and then we'll move on to the deficit. Yeah. Now, should there be a top rate of tax for those in six figure salaries, so those earning hundreds of thousands of pounds? Yeah. And actually, I'm going. I'm going to actually change the question then. Should there be should there be a tax on those earning more than six bigger salaries, and then should there be another tax for those earning more than seven bigger salaries? Because there are loads of people that are currently earning that amount of money. Right. So yes to the first it's, question, no to the second question. I think there should be a. Top, I think look, here's what we do. Anyone below fifteen thousand is zero percent. Fifteen twenty six ten percent. Twenty six to fifty thousand fifteen percent. Fifty thousand to one hundred twenty five thousand twenty five percent. Uh, two hundred twenty-five thousand. Sorry, hundred fifty thousand, twenty-five thousand to a quarter of a million, thirty-five percent, a quarter of a million or above, forty percent. So I'll have a top rate of tax of forty percent. Um, to the wealth tax and the millionaires tax, I think that's a stupid idea. I, I think that they already pay a tax of forty percent, and that's more than sufficient. I don't see the point really of people saying just raise taxes a bit higher because you'll get more money. You won't. You'll just lose jobs. And I look at the economic policy in the parameters of full employment deficit reduction and reindustrialization of the country and tax increases don't do a damn thing to help any of those three objectives personally okay um i agree w with the six figure salary should have a tax yeah um a top rate of tax um the seven there, there was a point when a tax becomes too much and it just doesn't become worthwhile to even try and fund it like well, I mean, the one for seven people when, when, um, when was our lowest revenues it was in the 1970s when we had a top rate of tax of 98 percent right when thatcher cut it to 60 we created eight years of growth when she cut it to 40 we created another seven years of growth in the economy because lower taxes create more jobs more enterprise, more investment in the country. And that's good.
We should keep these things. They're good. Now, people say, well, well, inequality grew. Well, I'm sorry. Freedom breeds inequality, right? Unless you live in this, unless you live, if you live in a free society, there has to be inequality. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Because it's the difference between the free society and the controlled society. Now, in the controlled society, yes, the state will give you a house and they'll give you a job and they'll give you food and they'll treat you like an animal in a zoo and they'll expect you to do as they say and say as they do and like a barcode on your foot in a way. But you get cared for. And in the free society, you are taught you can do as you please. Now, I think most people would favour the free society over the communist society. Because in communism, in state communism, there is total equality. Everyone is the same. Everyone's a private. Everyone's a worker. But there's no aspiration. There's no enterprise. There's no spirit to get to the top. It's people at the bottom. In the free society, everyone can try and get to the top. And, And personally... I think if you know who's poor and you know who's in the middle class, you then, once you've identified them, you then know how to help them. You know how to help them. Because I this is why the equality thing really gets under my skin. Because those, the, our liberal friends that propone equality don't understand that if we recognise the inequality within people, then we know how to help the poor, the disabled, the young and the elderly. Because we know that they're unequal to us. Rather than all this equality shit that we hear from people. Don't get me wrong, we shouldn't have discrimination. I don't believe in discrimination for a second. I don't believe that anyone should be turned away because of their gender, their race, their skin colour, their age, their disability. But I do think that in a mature society, the state has to respond on individuality, not collectivism. I agree with that. Yeah. So... Should we move on to the deficit then? Yeah, I'll move on to the deficit. Um, I got onto the inequality debate in free societies. What were we talking about? Nah, fuck it. So go on, what do you, the fact that we're borrowing 190 billion, James, this year, which is 15 billions more than we borrowed in 2009, what do you think about that? And then how can we, how, did you, and should we balance the budget? Okay, so... What do I think about the hundred ninety billion pounds, Brian? Yeah, uh, we just okay. Are we going to take out? Are we going to take out completely out of context? I think it's stupid to have one hundred ninety billion pounds of borrowing. I don't think I don't think we should be borrowing anywhere near that much. Are we going to put it in context, saying that about a year ago we were in a national lockdown where nobody worked at all? Well, people did work, but they worked from home. You know, productivity wasn't anywhere near as it should be. I can kind of understand it, maybe just a bit. But I mean, this shouldn't carry on. What's so now? What's so now? What the government should be doing? It's saying we're going to bring down borrowing. But what it's not, that's not what it's doing. Mm. What it is doing is then saying we're going to continue to borrow. While, 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 whilst we're at 10.7% inflation, or mm-hmm. 10.7% inflation, while, whilst we're at that level of inflation, it's just ludicrous. You should not be borrowing when, when, we're, in, when we're in a huge period of inflation. The pounds, after, after Quasi Quarting delivered his speech, the pound started crashing. That's, that's how little trust the, uh, the stock market put in quasi things to run our power, to run our currency. And I think borrowing money doesn't make it any better for any uh, for the business public. What we should do is become more self-efficient. And the fact that we spent, uh, the fact that we've got 190 billions of this year should not be at all acceptable. I think we should bring it down 
So maybe this year we bring it down to 150, then to 100, and 100, million, 100 billion, then maybe to 90 billion, then maybe to 75 billion, then maybe down. I'm, I just bring these numbers up the top of my head, but slowly, gradually building it down rather than suddenly going, rather than suddenly going, you know, we're continuing to borrow until it becomes a massive issue. Yeah. Um, no, what, what, what the government are doing right now with the borrowing situation, it's just kicking the can down the road so the next, so the next government will have to fix it up and they'll have to leave it down like Gordon Brown did to David Cameron saying we've got nothing left. We, no, no government, we don't want that to happen again. And what, and, and the whole point is we shouldn't be borrowing. We should become a self-sufficient country, um, well, self-sufficient-ish country. Obviously we can borrow a few billion a year, that's fair enough. But we should not be borrowing anywhere near 190 billion pounds a year. Well, I think that the borrowing is a disgrace to this country. I personally think that there is absolutely no case for borrowing uh, unless you're at war. And we're not at war. This is not. We are not at war at the moment. We are helping another country defend its country. That's not a direct war we are in. Um, I think that this borrowing rate is obscene. And I, first of all, what's the money being used for? That's what I'd like to know. Where is it going? Yeah. Is it going on a health service that's on its knees? Is it going on schools that don't work? Is it going on a police that's been rendered incompetent? Is it going on a welfare system that creates dependency, doesn't actually get people to work, and doesn't actually help the people who are not able? Is it going on a housing programme where we've not built single affordable homes since 2010? Where's the money going? What are we spending it on? Yeah. Right? We're £2.2 trillion in debt. Labour left the country with 600 billion of debt and the whole country said, oh, they bankrupted the country when we had 600 billions with only 40% of our country in debt. We are now 2.2 trillion in debt. Where's the outrage? Where is it? Because there is, I feel, you know, with the run on sterling that happened last few days, where the pounds basically collapsed against the dollar and the euro, there is going to be a financial crisis, and we won't be able to weather it. No. And interest rates are going back up. By the way, let me explain this in plain English, what this means in plain English. 2.2 trillion of debt. When interest rates last year were 0.1%, our debt interest was 2.2 billions. Our debt interest now stands at £45 billion. Right? And yeah. by next year, it could stand at £120 billion. Where the fuck is the outrage? That we have made our country into an economic laughing stock. You know, I saw Larry Summers the other day, the US idiot economist, the man who favoured the deregulation of the bank, saying the UK is a joke. Well, I'm not going to take lectures in economics from a man who deregulated financial services and caused a global financial crisis, the stupid fucker. But seriously, where is where was the solution? Because you can't go for spending cuts because these cretins have cut so much in the last 12 years for no avail. And you, and we need revenue raises, but you're doing it in a sensible manner. Oh, it's disgraceful. It's disgraceful to the country we're in, that we've got deficits. You should only have a deficit if you're at war. Otherwise, only have surpluses. Um, so, do you think there should be a law saying that government yeah. should never spend more than they make? Yes, and I would, I, and I would ingrain that into laws. One of my first bills I ever signed will be that law, the balanced budget law. Governments should never, ever, 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 ever 
be allowed to spend more than they take in. Ever. Ben, I, I agree. Uh, we, should, we should do the German model. And I think there should be Correct. there should be a few exceptions to that rule, obviously, because there should Wars. be exceptions. War. Exactly. If another, if another pandemic comes along, which is unlikely, probably never going to happen in your lifetime. But stuff, but stuff like that. You need, you, need to, you need to say, when that's voted by the House of Commons and it doesn't count, it should be it should be allowed. Yeah, agreed. Uh, it I should think, be illegal. I think, I think, illegal I think we should also understand that if our social, if our surpluses become high enough, we can then start using portion of our surpluses through to start financing crises. And also, if we have a reserve fund, we can then draw on our reserve fund to finance the wars or the or the, the pandemics. But I do agree with you. Yeah. I think in national crises, whether it's war or whether it's a health crisis then maybe, just maybe, there can be an exemption. Yeah, uh, I think I think, I think, think what should happen is with these surpluses that we, that we that you would make, is that I would also introduce, not a law, but a rule for yeah. my for government. Your fiscal that they rule. Should, um, that, that they should put 10% of the surplus mm. into paying, uh, automatically to paying down the deficit. I like those 10%. Well, it, it it completely depends. I think I think for the first year 50, it would be ten percent. I'd say fifty just just the, to build up a reserve fund, I'd say and then 50, the years after. That's interesting. I'd say fifty for the deficit, twenty five for public spending, fifteen for the reserve fund, ten for infrastructure. Maybe you could right. flip it round. Yeah. Maybe because uh, if we're in a surplus, then is the national debt not the deficit we're addressing, which is true. But I think that over time the debt comes down, then the portion that goes on the reserve fund should go from fifteen to twenty-five to thirty-five, and spending should go yeah. forth with as well. But we, the first goal of the national government in economic terms is to get this absolute mountain of debt we've accumulated by these incompetent fuckers for twelve years. Get that down very quickly, otherwise we will become yeah. Greece. Yeah, and <laughs> we don't want that. No, we do not. Um, are you going to ask the question or should I ask? No, keep going with your topic. If you want to ask any other questions around the topic, feel do, free, free, feel free to do it. Okay, so uh, over what time scale should the government seek to reduce the deficit from 190 to zero? Five years. Five years, we have to balance this budget. We have to do it by a mix of spending cuts, regulatory reforms and tax cuts. All in that order. Mm. All in that order. I agree. We have to address the welfare state, which doesn't serve anything. The regulatory system, which are a bunch of paper pushers pushing around more paper, making money pushing around paper. And a tax code, which is anti-business, anti-worker, and doesn't again, doesn't serve anybody. So we need to do these three things to get the budget balanced over five years. I agree. Um, I would say, I would say, I might give them a bit longer. I would give them, let's say from 2023, I would give them from... 2030. That, that's when I would give them. I would give them yeah, seven maybe, years maybe. Um, to do it, and then obviously the, the earlier you do it, the better. Correct. Um, I don't. I, I. I don't want it to become another thing where they kick it down the road and say we won't do it until the sixth year and go, oh my god, we're panicking and just don't spend anything on the sixth year. Oh, yeah. um, over a period of time, over 190 billion. That's what about um, 20 billion, billion year, 30 yeah. billion year. I think it should be 40. If it's six years, it has to be th- uh, 35 billion reductions a year. If it's five years, that's be forty billion reductions a year. It can't be just hundred ninety billion, right? One massive chop, and we've got the budget surplus. It has to be phased in. Otherwise, you're going to create a crisis. But then also by year three and four, you can then use the three percent rate of growth you get to then also use that to pay down the deficit. Remember, if our growth rate goes from one percent to three percent, 
we've got an extra £46 billion coming in. Yeah. So, that, so um, yeah, that was, that's my scale. It'll be five years. Yeah. So what mixture should it be of revenue increases and spending cuts? Should uh, it be completely zero? Should it be a period of austerity where, no. like, they become didn't cut all spending and don'ts and then don't uh, increase uh, any revenue? Or should it be... Um, well, my tax reform package raises ninety billion pounds, and my spending cuts that I've detailed raises sixty billions, and the regulatory reform raises further forty billions. So we'd be raising, a year. Uh, oh no, over the five-year period, over the five-year period. So you'd be raising the hundred ninety billion to get the deficit down to zero over five years. So in that case, it'd be about. 43, oh, let me get, let's get the figures, let's get the figures right, 90 divided 190, 47% uh, percent tax cuts, uh, re revenue increases, 31, so it'd be 47% on the, on the revenue, 37% on the spending, and 12% on the regulatory reforms, but hopefully, we get such by year three four we get such growth in the economy two or three three percent growth that we can then say let's use some of the growth to finance the deficit reductions rather than going for the public spending sector rather the public spending yeah yeah um so um let's see go for um what would what? you do what's your what's your ratio what's your ratio personally i think i think i would try my best to keep public uh, revenue up and try my absolute highest to not decrease any necessary spending cuts. I uh, get rid of all the unnecessary, all, all the unnecessary, like, you know, the paper pushers and all that, all that, that you don't need. Well, look, we spent, yeah. we spent 130 billion on the NHS, right? You can save 8 billion pounds every single year if you just say the NHS has to buy the equipment, not rent it out. That's an 8 billion pounds saving. Yeah. You can save a further five billion in the NHS every single year if you said the NHS has to own the operating theatres, not allow a bunch of private people to run it for them. Mm. Now that's thirteen I... billion pounds saved in the National Health Service without going after patient services. It's going after the private contractors that are ruining the NHS because they are ruining it. They are forcing the NHS yeah. to overspend, they're forcing them to waste cash. You know, the academies. The academies are the beacon of incompetence and overspending. I would abolish the academies, abolish all these nonsense-free schools, and say every school in Britain will be a £7,000 grant-maintained school where every people will get £7,000 a pupil and it'll be grant-maintained. That saves you £4 billion a year. If we go, uh, for example, with the welfare state and say every able-bodied person, as I defined able-bodied two weeks ago on the podcast, which is above 21, below 65, who is not disabled physically or mentally and is not caring for a relative, has to be in work, you can save nearly £17 billion a year. Mm. And these are yeah. sensible measures, which I think everybody can agree with. And by these measures alone, we've already saved the country £46 billion. We met, We're nearly 90% we're nearly of the target. But I do agree with you. Oh, we don't okay. need to go. Around, we don't want to go around sacking teachers and nurses and doctors and and assistants and people who actually do jobs. But I'm not going for that. I'm going for the structural fuck ups in our schools and hospitals 
by private companies that are forcing them to overspend more than required. Should we go into industry now? Yes, let's go into industry. What, what is your view? What is your view? Come on. Do you have any different view on this? No. I, I think when it comes to deficit, we pretty much practically agree right. on both things. I think the only thing we disagree on is I give them, a, the I give them a seven year, you give them a five year. Yeah. But, I mean... Look, if we can get it done in seven, if seven years is what's required, if we like, if we're by year five, we say we've got a forty billion pound deficit, and we've got to do two more years to get it to zero. That's fine. I'm not arbitrary, but five should be the immediate goal. We should be going for five, quick reductions in our debt. Okay. And by the way, so, the Labour Party has experience of running surpluses because we ran five budget surpluses in a row. 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. And we had 3% growth throughout that period. I, I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why Germany okay, under Schroeder and Merkel did very well and Kohl because they had surpluses. Just, just you know, thought there. Anyway, okay, so the, the industrial policy, you heard quasi quasi saying. You haven't uh, written the five questions, you silly bugger. Right, I'm going to have to do these myself. Bear with me. Um, uh, talk, talk, talked about industries. Um, and he talked about enterprise zones. Now, will it actually work in stimulating inner cities and urban areas? Or is it or is it just like a form of, you know, nothing thing? So he, so he, can't, so he, pad, out, he pad out his uh, mini budget a bit, so it made it look like it's going to do something when realistically they do nothing for the inner city. What should we do about uh, interest rates for, for industry? So, Dad, what do you think? And loads. I'm filling out the questions that you forgot to fill out, you silly fool. But I, I genuinely think that if, you, if you've got in, enterprise right, zones... I've got it now, I've got it now. So, enterprise zones... I think I'm, I've been in favour of enterprise zones now for nearly a year because I think it's perfectly sensible to say that the poorest areas in this country, we should lower the taxes down to 10% and get waves of business investment into these areas. It's basically what Tony Blair did with, re, with the Regeneration Initiative in 2005 when the North got £50 billion to reindustrialize. I think... Look, I'm not for charter cities. I've had this idea of basically deregulatory, low-tax cities that will be created. I think those ideas are stupid and ill-informed. I'm very much against deregulatory ideas. But I do believe in low taxes because you will stimulate investment. You will create jobs, better paid jobs. But I would only be for the low taxes for industry if they could guarantee that it would be used for investment in their company, remanufacturing, and also greater worker pay and greater mm. assistance for the workers that have been have declining pay, for instance. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing, the one thing I would add to it is that uh, there should be a, a place where enterprise zones aren't allowed. I think enterprise zones should most majority go to the north. Agreed. To boost the North economic activity, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say ban it from the south. There are places like Plymouth that would be in dire need of enterprise. Sorry. Should we make farms enterprise zones? I wouldn't make farms. I wouldn't. What I would do with farms is give them more substantial funding by the government. I don't. I don't want our farms to be influenced by the private sector. I want them to be influenced by the public sector. If anything, I want to. I want to. I want to become food food efficient. You know, when it comes to food, be completely self efficient on it. And it's one of my it's one of my three things that we should be self sufficient on: food, electricity, and uh, e and um, energy. 
those three things we should be fully self-proficient on. Agreed. And I think, um, sorry? I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, so I think, so I think making enterprise zones farmland could could really work off the direction so for what, us. We could like, have farm. So would you prefer like New Deal era subsidies for the farmers rather than just enterprise yeah, zones? I, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Like, uh, obviously not to the extent that happens in the New Deal, but obviously to but funding funding farmers absolutely. Yeah. But I would not. But enterprise zones should be majority focused in the north. Like Newcastle, places like Huddersfield, and places like you know Manchester, places like Liverpool. You know, I'm going to just name loads of northern cities now, like it matters. But the north should should get the enterprise zones first. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And then it should go down to the south. What about the capital gains tax? Should we abolish the capital gains tax for these areas? Um, if it helps businesses come in. And I'm talking about if the business has a proven record saying this is what we're going to do, we're going to do this, blah 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 blah, maybe. But I think if we if we introduce if we decrease capital gains tax, what what we're kind of admitting is that the businesses have more power than the government. We're trying to say well, the businesses are becoming more powerful than the government, and we don't want that to happen. We, we, we want to make sure that the businesses can work with the government, other businesses to work with the government. But we don't we, we don't want them to be in the situation where they go in your face we can absolutely just leave the company and then we don't want to make these areas completely dependent on these businesses on the enterprise zones we want, we want these areas to benefit from the enterprise zones not dependent on them and that and that's a complete that's the thing that needs to look like. you look at nigeria for instance obviously the uk is probably not ever come to nigeria but nigeria is completely dependent on shell True. Uh, and if shell leaves nigeria uh, if shell leaves nigeria they're screwed that's correct. because so the nigeria so the nigerian government because anything they want to shell, shell could ask for the government give us 20, 20 billion pounds, you know, funding. They'll give it to them because they shell is basically the only employer in Nigeria. When it comes to this, so we don't we don't want them to become like that. We want them to become we want them we don't want them to become dependent on it. We just want them to improve by it. And um, and I think if we decrease capital gains tax, like we said, what it would do is make the government more dependent on these uh, areas. It make the areas more dependent on the enterprise zones. And it will make the businesses more powerful inside the enterprise zones, which we don't really want. And especially if we have thousands of them around the country, we have thousands of enterprise zones around the country. What we don't want is a thousands of separate businesses, or maybe like a one business with two hundred place enterprise zones, saying, "Do you know what? what we don't want your terms pull out." What about empowerment zones instead? Then, where we group, basically we provide grants to people in deprived areas to make their own small. Oh shit. Why are these lines always so small when I speak, and they're always so big when you speak? Uh, why? What if we do empowerment zones instead, where people, um, in deprived areas, that we provide them grants to start their own small businesses where there's a gap in the market? Um, I think, I think so if we like do do companies. that, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, I would say, if the government does this. What what we would need to do is we need obviously a clear business plan from saying how oh, this is going to happen, and then, but we need to make sure it's not too much hassle for them. If, you, if you're going to go to the bank for a loan, yeah, the bank absolutely slates you about every single thing you would do. If you if you even look at the wrong direction whilst walking into the bank, they might not give you a loan. So so you, so you need so you need to be absolutely on on the. I think we need to make it. We need to make sure that we make profit from it mm. uh, from these. Um, from these zones, but what what we don't need to do is make it unbelievably high because it's a point oh, area. Usually, you'd be making profit no matter what, James. Even if it was a yeah. minor profit scheme, the amount we spend on welfare subsidies, on school subsidies that are failing schools, 
If we even make, say, 5 billion revenue, that's still better than the 20, 30, 40 billions we're doing to spend on these communities. Yeah. Um, so I think so. I think what should happen is that we need to spend more on these on these smaller communities yeah, and and do. impact them, like you said, the impact them. Um, and I think and I think funding funding local entrepreneurs into calling like that mm. is the best way to do it. And I think and I, and I think what what needs to happen is that there needs to be an easy way for somebody if they have a good idea to come to the government and say to them. I have this idea. It's a gap in the market. People, people will love it or they won't love it. But can you give me some also money? It's about simplifying and... regulatory processes. So instead of having mm. some stupid twat bureaucrat in Westminster who pushes paper around all day for a living, that if people have a business idea, it's obviously got a good scheme and it's within legal parameters. So there's no fraud. There's no waste and abuse. Yeah. That we should just say, go for it. Start your industry. Be- become enterprising. So I mean, to go to their local councils and their local authorities and these planning permission authorities. They're just nothing more than a bunch of pen push paper pushers. It should be, you've got an idea. You're a gut goer. Go for it. Get the workforce. Yeah, pay them well. Pay them with good, decent rights. Allow the unions to the unions to help you. But go for it. Become enterprising. Yeah, I, I completely agree. What and I think I think what should happen is that every six months for the first five years there should be a checkup Agreed. from the government. I agree. Saying saying you are on target, you're doing this. Uh, you're not on target. You have to improve this by the next six months. Otherwise, we're not go- we're not going to fund fund you anymore. Which is the that, purpose. That. Which is the purpose of making the grants installments, not subsidy. I yes. I hundred percent agree that the government and the authorities have to check up to ensure that the money is actually being used for building projects and there are workers who are being paid and there's actually a schedule so it's not basically open to fraud and abuse. That's why it has to be installments, yeah. not a grant. I do agree with this, yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, should we move on? Yeah, question? let's move on. I'm getting pissed off that these lines when I speak are so small and yet when you speak they're so massive. Without it, I'm a natural interviewer. No, I'm, I'm gonna feel. I'm gonna take a video of this whilst you're speaking, right? I'm gonna take a video of this. I'm gonna send it to you. Students, on what the hell I'm whining about, right? I'm talking to you right now. Uh, so go on and give me your next question, James. Okay, so now there, there's an issue with productivity with workers. You know, people are working more and more, getting more, getting paid more and more for doing less and less. Um, so what? How would you feel is the best way to motivate work? To do more because they're not going the yeah. workers the employees are going to pay them the same amount of money but what's going to how are they make them work more for the same amount or do we have to pay them more we have to give them a better form of um, uh, form of you know job contract how would you as dowd khan pm dowd khan <laughs> introduce a policy what in policy would you introduce to make sure workers are more productive i've just sent it to you to watch and i'll tell you how i'll help the workers right so is that you want workers I would first of all increase the minimum wage because we must increase the minimum wage. I would also see that we would have trade unions in the pro. See, did you see it? Yeah. Come on, that's taking the piss. Your your lines are over the whole bloody thing. Like, dish. anyways. So what would I do? I would have um, a a thirteen pound minimum wage. I'd phase it in over three years. I go from nine pounds to eleven pounds to twelve pounds to thirteen fifty. I would have trade unions in the private sector, ensuring that workers have rights and have collective bargaining controls. I would also have a basic agreement that said, 
as long as workers do not strike, employers have to grant workers pay line pay rises in line with price rises and cannot fire workers unless they are incompetent. Mm. I think doing those things would ensure stability and productive productivity, which are essential to the workforce. So yeah. there you are. Unions in the private sector, greater way index index wages to inflation, a guarantee no strike agreement. I would also I'd use the corporation tax cuts and the business tax cuts to stimulate investment and enterprise to help workers as well. Yeah. I would also say okay. whatever and also let's say whatever they whatever they cut worker pay by, then the managers should suffer the same cut themselves. Yeah. I I would, I would make sure, um, I would make sure that everybody gets paid in line with inflation. Agreed. So, uh, so everybody would get that, and I think, I think that would motivate people to say, no matter, unless, unless obviously I do something completely horrible and get sacked, I'm going to be paid. I'm never going to have a pay cut in my life. Correct. That's what the government says. Because um, if somebody comes home, if somebody comes home to the family and says, this year we've got a three percent pay rise, what they've actually got is a seven percent pay cut. And that, that should not be the case. And I think now businesses will complain saying we can't afford to pay people in line with inflation. We have to pay the inflationary costs as well. And we can't also afford the minimum wage. So what, what you say to them then is fine. If they're going to pay like that, we're going to introduce a minimum wage in line with inflation as well. So they can't even get out of that. So we need businesses to be more, I'm not going to say moral, because businesses in this country are usually most of the time moral. I'm going to say ethical. Which, re- which realizing is the exact same word, but uh, they, they need to they need, need to be more ethical. They need, they need to they need to say they need they need to be like in a situation saying, do you know what? We need to pay you in line with inflation. Why should you get a pay cut for this year? Um, and then, although what what this would also do is increase government motivation from just pure business pressure to decrease inflation. It will actually because if businesses are saying, let's say, conservative governments are in power. And they made a law saying everybody has to pay the uh, the employees by inflation. Uh, the Conservative government will immediately start tackling inflation, and they will immediately start doing it. And the, uh, because of the pressure of the businesses, the people they get lobbied by, the people they get paid by, are now having to pay you know an extra seven percent a year because of the because of inflation. And they will do it immediately because they don't want they don't let you know lobbyists to pay more money. Uh, that's the same. It's the same with us. So the trade union, so the trade unions who employ loads of people, you know, people in the employment ranks. You know what I mean? They, they, they would also have to pay it, and we don't, we don't. The people who are paying good money just pay loads of money as well. So what the Labour Party would do is also increase the amount. Uh, would also tackle inflation to the best of its ability. So it's just tackling of inflation that would really make something something better. Yeah, but you can lower. No matter how you tackle inflation, I don't really mind about that. No, 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 because the tackling of inflation is central to this go- to any economic policy is the reduction of inflation. Everyone has surely seen by now what high inflation rates do to industries, to people and to the poor. And I think the tackling of inflation is uh, essential in government economics. Yeah, absolutely. I agree think public and spending, I think... which must be done as well. And I, and, and I think that's what revenue, needs to happen. And, and I think, uh, I know, for instance, that um, governments would absolutely immediately start tackling inflation, which is which is what needs to happen for this country at the moment in time. And there should be Bank of England target, which I believe is 2%. That should be kept. 
And I would also make I would also make another rule that if you get paid in line with inflation, yeah. that does not count as a pay increase. I would make sure so your pay rise would be zero percent. I'd make sure because then business will say we paid you, we've already we're giving you a pay rise this year. It's two percent. Yeah, if you're promised a two percent pay rise per year or like a six percent pay increase because of things, if you're two percent of inflation, you're twelve percent in you know whatever percent inflation is at the time yeah. does not count that pay rise. Yeah. And I'd make that absolute law. That's fair. That's fair. So should I? I'll ask the next question, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, coming, uh, should we, should we uh, lower the corporation tax? Yes, and, we should. And and also with that, how do we reform business rates, small business rates? Right, lowering the corporation tax. I would lower the. Co- I would reform it entirely. I would say that no business making a profit below £200,000 should pay a penny in the corporation tax. I say that no business, any business making between £200,000 and a million pounds should pay a 10% rate of corporation tax. A million to 3 million, 12%. 3 million to 10 million, 15%. 10 million to 20 million, 17%. Anything above that, 19% of tax. So every business but the super rich get a corporation tax cut. Now for the small businesses, I would say the uh, businesses between say uh, zero and twenty thousand pounds, I would exempt them from all small business taxation. Twenty to fifty thousand pounds, two percent. Fifty to a hundred thousand pounds, four percent. Hundred to two hundred thousand pounds, a seven percent tax rate. That's it. Now what would that do? That would liberate industry massively liberate its revenues so they are able to pay workers better salaries invest in its products and have greater demand and greater profit rather than constantly being beholden to the government so i would lower the rates dramatically okay while still keeping and actually i would be more progressive because i'd ensure that the richest businesses pay more than the poorest businesses right now we have a flat tax where you know, a corporation makes two hundred grand a year in profit pays the exact same as a corporation that makes fifty million a year, which is a silly idea. So when it comes to uh, when it, when it comes to uh, I to be fair, I completely agree with you. Yeah, good. Uh, usually, usually when it comes to tax rates, we don't really particularly agree. But We're when not. it comes to business and to corporate tax, I do believe that we need to encourage businesses. What I would add is I might make I might make the corporation taxes a tiny bit higher. Oh, I'm sorry, a tiny bit lower, but I'd, uh, I'd close every single loophole that's, at, that's possible at all. I do agree. I might, uh, yes, and that and that and that, and that would be completely in line if a business, if a business, if not, if one major company decides, you know, I'm going to try and find a loophole, everybody suffers because of it. That's one. I'm, I'm going to be like a proper teacher. No one's going to tell me the answer. You're going to detention. I'm going to be like that. So that that's and and I think and I think if so one business ruined it for one person obviously I'm not talking about a small business that finds a loophole but like big businesses ruin it every big business will have to then oh, sure, every single business sure. will have to pay extra corporation tax and also have a massive offshore profits tax so for those greedy bastards that stick yeah. their profits offshore we'd have a 50% offshore profits tax so that anything they do make offshore would also make, make them pay three times more than people who keep their profits in the UK I'd have a tax yeah. on those scoundrels that for example decide to take their jobs out of the UK and take them to another country out of it 90% uh, job exporting tax 
I'd have a capital, I would, but I would also seek to reduce the capital gains taxes, maybe even abolish yeah. the capital gains taxes. I'd also abolish the death tax. We must abolish the death tax. It's known to its supporters as the inheritance tax. I was, I, I, I was literally about to say that. Oh, I, I was, call it the death tax. The... Yeah, go on, James, what are you saying? I was about to say, for those who don't know what the death tax is, it's down the way of saying inheritance it's tax. It's the inheritance tax. I call it the death tax, and that must be abolished as well. We must abolish more controls on industry, so we liberate the industry for workers to thrive and to succeed. And that must be the job of the government. It's to reduce controls, reduce the taxes, abolish the death tax, and then to ensure the workers are paid well. Like I said, bring the trade unions in. In my view, if you believe the government has to get out of the way of industry, and I do believe that, then there must be a social protection for the industry, for workers. And that comes in the form of strong-powered trade unions. Now, you can have baseline things like the minimum wage and the sick pay and unemployment compensation, which I think are perfectly um, sensible ideas, but it should be the job of the union to enforce workers' protections. Yeah. So, okay. we're moving to so our social we'll move on to public, we'll public spending. Ah, yes. Um, I'll do that, so I'll do that. Go on, Dan. This is you my ask, turn. You ask. Okay, uh... What can we learn from the mini from this mini budget about the Chancellor's attitude to public spending? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's probably gonna be Cameron esque. Yeah. Or you know, Osborne esque, that kind of thing. I think by by the way we're doing he's cutting spending. Yeah. Uh, so he's cut the government I think he's cut the gov I saw a graph the other day. I think he's cut the government's income by two percent. Or something around that margin. Two percent he's yes. cut the government uh, income actually towards it. And that's that's not that's not going to go away without some uh, without some issues. So I do think you'll bring in another period of not they're going to call it something. I think they're going to call it austerity. They're going to call it something else. Obviously, the turning to rebrand from austerity because that really didn't help much in the twenty fifteen uh, election. So they're going to brand away from that. But I don't think it will ever help them. What quasi Quarteng is doing right now, I don't think it's single. I don't think it. You know, don't look favourably for public services. I think public services are going to expect a big cut oh. in his proper awesome statement. I know this is a mini-budget, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's less than many. It's the second biggest tax cut in history of British. Of history of Britain. Yeah. So it's not a mini-budget. It's a huge budget. But they just brand it as many because they, they don't want people to think that they started well, because, they started to, well, uh, you know... Because they don't want the OBR costing out their proposals because yeah. they realise the costs yeah. are eye-wateringly sky-high. Uh, I do yeah. agree with you. I think the government are going to start what I call slashing and burning and have no uh, morals and morality in the poor. Mm. I think that's wrong. I think whilst we do need to lower spending, when you have a £900 billion public spending allotment, you've got to reduce it. But you've got to reduce it in a fair manner, in a compassionate manner, and not constantly picking on the poor and those who can't help themselves when there are plenty of abuses in the public sector, and there are. Mm. Um, so there we are. But also, what is there a case for the lowering of welfare spending, do you think? Um, is there a case for lowering welfare? I would say no. I don't think right at this moment at all, you should cut lower, uh, lower welfare. Uh, you should lower welfare spending. That's all at this moment in time. In in the future, there might be there might be. I'm not saying cut it. I'm not saying get rid of the 
There might be different situations where you can bring people off it to get into a job. Might be situations where that's always what Clinton. Does. I would agree with like that. All able-bodied people have got to find a work, and if they can't find work. I would. I would. I would try. I would try and introduce that. But I mean, I would definitely not at this yeah. time. Not. Not. Not in. Not in the foreseeable future. For I would say foreseeable future for me is like an election cycle. Yeah. yeah well, five years. All right. So in the longer term, how do we actually even preserve the welfare state? What do we do to ensure that people are not dependent either on privatised philanthropists or the state? Is it through social savings accounts? Is it through subsidies? Is it through changing the way we pay for housing costs? What do we do? Because right now, we have a, I think everyone agrees, left or right, the welfare system is a joke. It's a profound mm. joke. Universal credit is a disgrace. doesn't work in the slightest. So what what modifications do we have to make for the welfare state to make it actually okay? Work? I would I would immediately try and introduce. I would try and get rid of poverty in the child ranks. Yeah, I, I mean when I say poverty, child poverty they get rid of absolutely. But then when they grow up, I want to get rid of poverty for them entire as well. So I want to make sure they never go to poverty. And I'll say let's say the Labour Party comes into power in twenty twenty eight. Let's let's say the next oh let's say they don't let's say they don't win the twenty twenty four election. They win the twenty twenty eight election. And Labour, I'll then say anybody born in, from 2028 onwards would immediately get uh, would get a government uh, bank account which cannot be touched until the age of I'm going to say cannot be touched until the age of 25, where the government puts in a certain amount of money and the and the parents put in a certain amount of money. Yeah. So what I, uh, and then that 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 would increase through um, oh God, what was it called? In, not interest. Compound what's it called? Uh, compound interest. Compound interest. Thank 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 you, Dad. Compound okay. interest. That I would, it's a policy that you introduced that, that you've said multiple times, but I like the idea of that. Yeah. I would then also try and say what Bill Clinton said, and you know, you have to work to get welfare. I agree with that to a certain extent. I agree that some people have obviously not the disabled, the child or the obviously elderly, they won't, they won't be entitled to that. They'll automatically receive welfare. Correct. But I think there are other situations which will which will hinder people's fact of being able to actually work. And mm -hmm. I would introduce, and then try and narrow down this margin. I don't, I'll try and give people as many jobs as possible. That would definitely be a top priority as well, as well as as well as making sure that every single person has the ability by the age, but after they've left university or after or after like or if they've left university and can't find a job, will be able to get a job within the period of a year. That's yeah. that's what that will be my goal. How so how would a year, you do that? Would, would that be through a job training program that would lead to a job? Would it, it that could, be a public it could be through sector a job training job, program? It? it could be it could be a state private sector funding. Yeah. So so the state say, you know what? We'll, we'll give you we'll give you X amount of money if you employ a, if you employ X amount of people, and then we'll say that to them, and then they'll say fine, two years free free employees, they'll you love it. And then we'll say after two years, you can't sack them. Obviously, they'll make we'll make them sign a contract saying you can't just sack them for no reason, blah blah blah. Um, so all, all, all that would be good for the businesses. They get they get them free employment for two years, and then after that they can pay. And then well, they've got skilled workers to work in the company. So I'd love that. Um, and then and then also also what people don't talk about enough is that there's a lack of people in NHS. Now if you're if you're not being educated to become a medical profession, I'm not saying we produce the NHS to work. Because that would be ludicrous and stupid. Well, what I mean, I'll start I mean, to, to do. To an extent, you could. If, for example, if we. Well, have... you could you could retrain them. You could no, retrain example, I agree with that. For you example, could... you could have a National Health Service porter whose job is threefold. 
His job is to push the sick into the operating theatre. It's to ensure the records that the National Health Service equipment we bought are on the spreadsheets and to ensure that the, the equipment used in the health service is clean. Now, those people get paying yeah, nearly 40000 a year. I, I absolutely, you, know, you could train someone to do I, that. I, I absolutely agree with that. I, I'm, I'm not saying everybody in the NHS doesn't know how to do yeah, that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking saying, about, like, I'm talking about nurses train, and doctors. Yeah, I'm not saying, you know, train the unemployed to become nurses and doctors over seven years. That'd be a gross waste of money. But I think training them to work in the house as a care assistant, as a porter, yeah. in, in, in education, and maybe as a teaching assistant, you know, which, by the way, would help the service, but it's quicker to train them up and it's you know, would give them a good pay. What what I would do if you want to be if you want to join the emergency, uh, if you want to join NHS or you want to be a teacher, yes, your degree will be paid completely full, full of, free of charge. Yep. Your accommodation, you get a subsidy for your accommodation, which you're not expected to pay back at all. And then um, I would do all of this, Dad, because Dad, the whole point is that we need more doctors and nurses, and we if we do. can incentivize people to become doctors and yeah, nurses, I wouldn't do and subsidy say, accommodation. I wouldn't do free. To, I, I agree. The first part, which is that they shouldn't be billed for the training. I don't think we should be charging people to become nurses and doctors. I think we should, by the way, should have the, they should be exempt from the graduate tax that you and I have proposed. But I, I'd be very uh, sceptical of free accommodation because the thesis would be... I'm not saying for the seven years of training. I'm not saying for the seven years of training. I'm saying whilst at university for the first three years, the university, oh, the government will provide I some money to the university right, to right, subsidise right. it. Not 100%. Yeah. They'll have to pay some of it. We'll say, we'll say about 20% taken off it or 30% or whatever, uh, ex, or whatever amount, style, just yeah, taken yeah. off it to make, to make it even more okay. incentivised to become... Okay. And what, then what also, about, I'd increase the junior doctor wage. What, what, what about for nurses and doctors? What about, if we also, yes, train them, but also ensure that by the second year of university, they're spending at least one day in a functioning hospital, so that way we got part-time staff as well coming in. Well, I think I think after I think after one year, you're probably not educated enough to actually operate or you know actually do anything well, to the even, patients even, even I, if it's I just think, to oversee actions and occasionally push papers yeah absolutely at least doing I, something. I, I, absolutely i agree yeah. i agree with overseeing actions but we need to make sure we need to make sure that they don't they don't get in the way of the doctors oh, that yeah, are working sure, immediately sure. i wouldn't have them in the operating theater doing heart <laughs> operations that would be the most demented idea of them all but i certainly think that some form may okay maybe even in the fourth year or the third year so at least there's i would i would form. say from second year i would say I'll say first year, no hospital. Don't go to hospital at all, apart from maybe hospital disc discretion. And yeah. then se second year, second year, I'd say any nurses or doctors would have maybe two day, uh, like four days a month, like once a week, they go to hospital and just see how over look at it and yeah. overlook okay. it. And then I'd say the third year, third year, and then from then it would increase the amount of days in hospital. From third year, you might have, Do you think you might have case three days a week. Massive employment of staff for people to of administrators. For people in the in the hospital, for one nurse, one doctor, one who fills out the forms, and one who talks to the patient. But what we also need is a not necessarily a massive hiring of nurses and doctors, but also a massive hiring of people who help the nurses and doctors in the ad assistant stroke administrative roles. Absolutely, the administrative affairs. Oh, here we go. We can we can talk to the department now. Oh, department yes, administrative affairs. Uh, but um, <laughs> but I think I think I think that does need to be looked at. I'm not saying set up a department. I'm talking about administrative. Oh, that, would be, that, would be fun. Think... that would be fun. The department, the okay. minister for administration. Here he comes in the room. <laughs> I think, I think, I think there must be a situation where, um, what, 
What I would say is that it needs to be toned down the amount of administration that the NHS has to do. Because uh, my grand, my granddad, when he originally started working as a pharmacist with the NHS in 19, I think 60s, in the 1960s, he started right. working with the NHS. Yeah, the, the, the paperwork was name, patient, issue, sign it off, put it in a file, then somebody picks up the file, Much puts better. it into the protein. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Very um, quick now, now my my, my mum, who's a pharmacist now, mm. and you have to do, scan the document, then scan the document that you scan, then scan the document that you scan, that you scan, and, then yeah. it's all of these, it's yeah, all of this, exactly. it's all in the way. Scan so the we, document so that you to... scan, scan the document that you already scan, now scan the document you already scan and already scanned again. Now fill out this form as per Health and Social Care Act Clause 16, subsection paragraph 2, could you now fill out this form and as per, you know, all these fucking arrogance of officialdom shit. No, I think retain to a one-page form the name, the age, the residency, the date of birth, and the condition. That's it. But I think we and should have a special that, team. And, that, and that's exactly how I think. And, and I think that's exactly how we'll be able to reduce spending on the yeah. Department of Health oh, yeah. and social care without affecting and the NHS also, at all. I was talking to one of my friends uh, at a wedding, actually, about this, and he explained to me how the the procurement, which they spend over 70 billions on, the procurement of equipment is done in the most incompetent way because there's no one to actually oversee payments. That's why yeah. the money gets overspent on equipment that's not even necessary. I mean, we could, if we were serious, save over 30 billions on equipment and procurement. If we said, hold on a second, what's the equipment for? What I would do is I would go to every hospital at a regional health authority and say, how much do you need? What's your equipment purchase for this year? Return to the old purchase a provider model. What equipment do you require? And we will buy you on your behalf. I would set up an NHS manufacturer. So we could have a, an NHS manufacturer that would manufacture at lower cost and better quality. I would have people, doctors and nurses managing the hospital, not bloody bankers managing the hospital. We've got to, and I'd also, i do one big thing, I would abolish foundation trust status for all hospitals. They'd be NHS hospitals, not NHS foundation trusts. Why? Because mm -hmm. we spend 10 billion a year subsidizing the debts of foundation hospitals. Get rid of it. What a stupid idea yeah. that was. So that, again, these are sensible reforms. You can hire more nurses. We've got to do. You can hire more doctors. We've got to do that. You've got to hire more uh, assistant staff. We've got to do that. You've got to hire better facilities. But you've got to do it in the NHS, not constantly going on bended knee to the private sector who make you pay triple the cost for worse duration time and shitter standards. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, we already answered that, we already answered that question in a way because we wanted to health divertly. We just moved on. Anyways, uh, should we return to grant-maintained schools? Yes. On a £7,000 per people initiative? Yes. And also use private school vouchers to lower the cost of public education? I may have slipped that no. one just to cause an argument. <laughs> Um, I agree with the first two. Yep. The third one, absolutely not. Yes. We are funding our yes, we need vouchers, and I don't think that should work. We need lots of vouchers. We should allow anyone to take a voucher and go into a good private school that works. And I'm fully aware there are some people who fundamentally disagree with my point of view, but I'm going to say this right now. Would you do it for healthcare? No. So why would you do it for education? Because, like I said when we did episode 20, that private healthcare has proven time and time and time again to be monstrously worse than private schools. Yeah. Everybody, everybody knows that private healthcare systems 
often cost more, more bureaucratic and give less quality standards. Private schools cost less, have higher standards and higher teachers. Uh, but then, shouldn't, 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 we be, shouldn't we go up against the private schools rather than funding them? No, because Bridgewater is better than Lady Bridge High. Yes, but obviously, I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to argue that private schools at the moment are better than state schools. Yeah. The majority of them are obviously there's some superb state schools out there. And well, there's some less than good private, private schools. And, but, but I'm saying, but, but what I'm going to say there is that instead of, instead of spending the three grand whatever per pupil to get to the state school, uh, to private schools, why don't we just introduce that to the state school? But why should you? Why should we accept incompetent state schools that are useless? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying improve them. No, you are. What's wrong with improving something? First of all, if you make the the school grant-maintained, you change the psychology of the school, first of all. Now, yes, you can go for the 200,000 more teaching assistants that I believe in. Yes, you can have Kindles in the schools. Yes, you can have more investment in the schools. Yes, you can reform the assessments so it's coursework, it's homework and examinations. Yes, you can make those good structural reforms. But at the end of the day, most people accept that the state education system is a failure in this country. Now, is the solution to go to the academy model? No, because the only thing that's worse than state comprehensives in this country are academies that somehow are even worse. That in the words of David Mitchell, somehow combine all that is worse about both nationalization and privatization. And academies do that masterfully. They combine everything that's wrong in the system. It's to say, we want good functioning public schools. We want them to be very well funded. We want the teachers to have good salaries, 40 grand a year. We want the teaching assistants to be in the class. We want class sizes below 20. We want assessment reform so we can actually have coursework and homework factored in. We want a good syllabus. We want to have technology in the schools. But if there is a failing public school, yes, you can have the turnaround team that come in and sort it and with new management, new staff, a new ethos. But you can also say, if this school isn't working for you, you can go to a private school. Yeah. Because well, you could you could say that you could say that. The but then the system the system should be if it's a state school. Mm. State means it's owned by the state, doesn't it? Yes. It's, that's pretty obvious. But yes. it also it also means it has to fit in for every single person of the state, correct? Yes. And what is wrong with instead of spending I don't know X amount of money on this health on this school voucher? Sorry, why don't we? Why don't we just invest? In the state schools, the first one. No, I'm not. I'm not, say, I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not saying absolutely. I'm not saying. I'm not saying improve all the all. I'm not saying you know let state schools be rubbish and let's, and let's rubbish. accept that they're rubbish. No, I, what 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 I'm saying. What I'm saying is pay is not pay them, but give them money to improve. That's what I'm I saying. Agree. Instead, instead, instead I of agree. wasting instead of wasting money per pupil. I'm going to private schools. Make the state schools become the same level as the private schools. The voucher program is going to cost four billion pounds, right? Now, my state school investment package is going to give twelve billion a year to the state schools. What I am promising? You say four billion pounds. Four billion pounds of vouchers. Yes. Give that immediately to the state school. What is? I already am. What world? I already am giving triple of that, you fool. I'm giving triple to the state schools. Oh why? Why don't you only quadruple that down and then give them the four billion pounds? There has to be choice. There has to be choice. There will be choice. Absolutely, will be choice. choice. You had the choice to go to private school, yes, Mm. if you want to, unless if you can afford it. 
That that's the point, yeah. Now okay. I I'm not saying but the people what? who can't afford it, yeah. the people who can't afford it should not should not just be then given money to go to the private school. They should be they should be in a no, situation no. where they don't need to spend any money or be given about or be given what they might call charity. They should be able to go to a school which is equal to this, which is equal to the private school. A good left winger can understand. Let me say this when the left wing can understand. In the left wing of a collective bargaining in industry, because they believe correctly that if workers have the right to bargain their power against management, then management won't cut their pay because they can have the right to strike. So they have the collective bargaining power of saying, you will not fuck around with us because we will screw your industry. Right. And that's why mm -hmm. management for 40 years had to behave had to give workers good pay increases, had to treat workers as dignity, because otherwise their industry could close. Correct or incorrect? Right. Right. Well, now, if you do vouchers, you will bring that same collective bargaining power to the students. Because the students mm -hmm. that are trapped in a failing system could then say, well, you're, you, you've got overclass sizes, you have incompetent teachers, you have a syllabus that's shit, I'm now going to take this voucher and go to a private school. And then that would force, and that would force the head teacher to then say, "Well, we got to treat these students with dignity and respect because otherwise they'll leave the school. And because our schools grant maintained, not state funded, we actually need per we need pupils. So you give young people the how, how early on would you introduce this? Would this be one of your first bills to introduce? What vouchers? No, I, I no no I put vouchers in a broader package of reform. It wouldn't be like a a bill. It'd be in a much broader yeah, package. Yeah, I, I know, I know but, but, but would it be early on? When yeah, of course it'd be early on. Along with the graduate tax, which would, by the way, give us a 12 billion investment we need in the state schools, along with the Kindles, along with the assessment reform procedures, along with the... So you wouldn't the, even, so you wouldn't even give the state schools time to actually, like, you no, know, improve. Give, so we, we don't give, give them three years and then introduce about to no, the parents of like No, no, itself. because that, we need the turnaround idea that allows state schools that are failing to be closed down with a new management, new ethos. But there is no time for to not give people choice. And I think, you know, when when the people in the in 1906 asked for collective bargaining power, did the Lloyd George administration say, well, we must wait till 1909 till we give you collective bargaining power? They said, no, give them it now. Give them right to do collective bargaining. And it made worker management relations good till 1979. And I think this program should be brought in immediately, along with the massive investment in state schools. Okay, fair enough. We're, 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 well, I guess we have to agree I, to disagree in this stuff. Where's the disagreement? Where, what, do you, what part of it? By the way, we're at 109, so we can literally just keep on going because we, we're, we're a bit earlier than planned with this, so we can literally just keep expanding this. I don't understand. What do you disagree with? I don't, I don't get I it. I disagree oh, with, I disagree shit, with the... 7pm. Uh, Fuck, okay. Yeah. Get the disagreement, I, I get I the I and then we'll move on to industry, and we'll get on to uh, regulatory reform. I disagree with the situation where we should be funding our competitors. That's a state school. Now, a state is not for competitors. It's the private sector. What are you on about? We're not funding any competitors. We're helping young people. We're helping the students, James. That's good. Okay, so, that, 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 we're helping the students, correct? Mm. But only if they want... But then, but what, but what you're doing is instead of giving the state schools the chance by funding them that $4 billion, what you're doing is giving it to the private school. While you give the private school four billion, I, I know you say to give people choice, but to give people choice, but you shouldn't. But people shouldn't need to have the situation where they Costco need choice. Costco is better than ASDA 
because Costco is an exclusive membership club that has people going there and they have better quality products for lower prices. I know that's probably one of the shittest analogies I've ever given on the history of this podcast, but I'm trying to derive a concept that exclusivity is better because it forces people to see sense. Oh, Eating College is really good. Hmm? Eating College, Dad, your favourite in Eating College? Oh, son of... Eating College... Well, Eating College has given us many Prime Ministers, but Eating College is not good now. Oh, great. But that's exclusive. What, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with saying that poor pe- working-class people should have the right to join private schools? I, nothing! Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, good. Dad. But I'm saying... But I'm saying... But what, what, what I'm not saying is that, is that we should... That we should give them... That we should if force it upon them. the stupid nonsense... That the work class people should pay £9,000 for tuition fees, which, by the way, are the, is one of the worst policies ever done to education by a man, should be abolished immediately, then haven't we violated the principle of free education? Haven't we violated that principle? But we violated the principle of having free education and taking private schools introduced. Well, private schools are good and we should keep building them. I mean, what we don't need is academies or city academies or these nonsense free schools. We need good state comprehensives and we need good private schools that are well-funded, reformed. And by the way, if you don't want that, then we have, to, we have to abolish teaching unions in this country. Okay, so, so, now, so now the Labour Party is calling for the abolition of unions. No, no, teaching unions, teaching unions. <laughs> and why do we hate um, the NUT, James? I, well, they don't pay the Labour Party. That's right. But I would reform it, not not abolish it. They are the they are the beacon of they are the beacon of old practices that don't actually help students. They allow teachers that are useless to not teach students that with low qualifications and low standards to teach students. If you don't want vouchers, we have to reform teaching practices in this country along with paying students anyways let's move on to regulatory reforms gonna wrap it up in about 13 minutes so uh so that what do you think about the deregulation of bankers bonuses oh god jesus christ it's 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 the difference between what i call the intellectual case and the moral case there is absolutely an intellectual case for this because since the bankers cup city salaries have gone through the roof and therefore we've basically thrown away so many people out of the city of London. But the moral case is this. At a time when people can't afford to heat their homes, at a time when people can't afford to stay in their homes, your first priority is to give the people that crashed the economy 14 years ago obscene bonuses. <laughs> what have they I mean, done to merit these bonuses? What, what what I would say, what I would yeah. say is to quasi quite take that. Oh, so you went to 2023 financial crisis then. Yeah. It was one of the biggest contribution factors is that the bankers were paying themselves so much money, taken away from the banks and away from that. So if you're, if let's say you're a bank teller, you know, just a regional person, you know, maybe manager of the regional bank, you get paid this amount of money. Now, how do you make you feel that a banker in London of the same company who, who doesn't do anything apart from buy shares, stocks, and probably occasionally each year loses about hundred, uh, loses about hundred grand a year in stock market. Yeah. How is that? How is that any? How is that any knowledge or great knowledge to you that they can pay unlimited amount of money now? 
They could generally go and say to themselves, you know what, I'm going to give myself a 4,000% pay rise and yeah. the government couldn't do anything about it. What's Obviously, they wouldn't go that high as 4,000. But I'm just saying, into really, people, uh, during the 2000s, that people were paying themselves 100% pay rise, 200% pay rise, 300% pay rise, because they just couldn't do it. Yeah. And the fact that it got, the fact that people got rid of it was a brilliant idea. Yeah. And you know, and I bet Quasi Quarteng and the governments there are just, I've got some friends that are just going, do you know what, we get a pay rise. Well, That's I mean, what they've it's done. It's not fair at all. I mean, there is a case for it because because of the transition we made from manufacturing to financial services, that we had to enhance financial services, not let them leave. But no, not at a time when people can't afford to heat their own bloody homes. Yeah. And do you want to say, come on, chaps, you've caused this country 15 years of economic shit. So come on, let's give you more millions of bonuses. You you know, it's not right. So no, I'm not in favour of it, no. I think we've I think we answered the second question. Will this lead to another financial crisis? Yes, yes, yes will. absolutely. Um, if so... deregulation of the city of London, like the deregulation of Wall Street, will cause a financial crisis. Why? Because when Bill Clinton repealed Glass Steagall because of that fucking weasel who called, who's known to his friends as Alan Greenspan, said we must get rid of regulations. You got mortgage-backed securities, which were cheap regu- mortgages with low, with high risk, that ended up causing a financial crisis that lasted this, still to this day. Right. So, yes, it will cause a crash and it will be very unpleasant. And we will have a depression, by the way, not a recession. Because we won't be able to borrow our way out of it next time. Mm. So, yeah, personally, if you ask me what I do about the banks, I would nationalise the banks. I would put a glass... I would take out all the toxic assets for £100 billion. I'd do a Glass-Steagall-type bill, which is extreme regulation... And then I would privatise the banks. I do it in 18 months. Okay. So how do you think we we met the financial um the financial FCA? Yeah, the financial conduct authority. That's the one conduct authority. I it's something about it. How do I reinvent it? I'd abolish it immediately. Abolish it. And I would make the Bank of England regulate the banks. Simple. I agree with that, absolutely. I would not allow Simple. a bunch of idiots who do not understand, who know more about financials, who I know more about financial services than they do, I would not trust them to regulate the banks. The Bank of Canada regulated Canadian banks, and there's a very good reason Canada did not have the global financial experience, the global financial crisis, because they had a central regulator overseeing their actions. I would take away all regulatory policy and take it only to the Bank of England, like we did with interest rates. Yeah, I agree. That's so I'd abolish the FCA and tell them, you've all been absolutely shit at your job, piss off. So, so how do we invent the Food Standards Agency, the Competition Market yeah. Authority, the Health and Safety Executive, oh. so they're all overseeing practices and not, you know, as, as we've said multiple times about yeah. the podcast, paper pushing. Yeah. The, most, the incompetent paper pusher fuckers that call themselves bureaucratic aides, that call themselves regulatory authorities, that I just call a bunch of a bunch of idiots pushing paper. Would I abolish these authorities as well? Might do, might do. No, I wouldn't. I would. What I would do is I would have local inspectors. I would abolish the FC, all these agencies, abolish them immediately, and have local inspectors for food standards who understand the restaurants they're actually going to, and would inspect the quality of the food, but also would help industry to upgrade the quality of its facilities, I would do that. 
so we had. I, I would argue with that. I would argue with that, that because if you have you have a local person affecting food, they might have a rapport with the restaurant and just you know mark it up. The That's whole, the, the whole, the whole thing of the food stand at the, the party point. was that they didn't know anything, they didn't know anybody. You could go in there and be completely unbiased, and I think that's, that's what we need stupid. when it comes to what to what we're eating. That's silly. I think, I think, I think, I think, no, I think it's absolutely, I think it's absolutely good for hygiene for, for, for when they give you a hygiene rating. I think it's absolutely good when they test the products because we don't want them building rapport with these real retailers. Yeah, but don't think context say, and intent are relevant. Don't think context and intent are relevant. That these people are sensible people who understand what they're doing. They should have the right to inspect. Uh, look, personally, does I... it mean doesn't? Does, uh, plenty of things have got past the government before. You look, for, you look for yeah. Howard Shipman. Obviously, <laughs> I'm not going to compare these people to Howard Shipman, but but you, but you get my point. There will be people who won't do it, and it will be a scandal in the future, and it will be something that the government will have to let them do. So I think the SCA. Yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can understand. I can understand you. Get them in the competition of market authority and health and safety executive. Make the health and safety executive per hospital. You know they've got they've got a person. Health and safety executive. Right. Please tell me what you're doing to combat the MRSA epidemic in hospitals that are making people more sick in the ho- once they leave the hospital when they went in. Nothing. The CMA. What have you done for small businesses in the last ten years of any good? Nothing. You have to say. I, I would agree. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with those two, uh, revamping them, maybe evolving and introducing more, a new form of idea. Yeah. Mm. But the Food Standards Authority, I think we would keep it there, we'd keep it doing its very thing, but whilst introducing new new policies and new standards to to the Standards Authority. Yeah. You know, we, so we, we, we make it, I, I, I would reinvent it by, you know. Say, but I wouldn't abolish it, because I do agree. It's like with clean air and clean water provisions, you've got to... Air, water, and food are three areas of regulation you can't water down because it's central to the human life. Yeah. Um. So I do agree with you, but I just think we're going to localize it better. I think maybe some form of localization, some form of increasing regulation that would do it better. I think possibly. Um. But I can see the case for the status quo. But I still think we're going to reinvent it somehow. But I do think with the yeah. CMA, which I think is an incompetent regulatory authority, there's done nothing but basically allow a bunch of mealy mouthed. Uh, people who don't understand industry, who don't understand businesses to destroy small businesses to help corporations. And I think the HSC, uh, you can, you, yes, you need basic health and safety standards. Yes, of course, you need to ensure the floors are dry and the walls aren't rusting and the lifts are fully operational. Yes, you need to ensure they're not damp roofs that are going to collapse. Of course, but you can't destroy everything because of health and bloody safety. Right, you can't. <laughs> yes, you know what? Let's have barriers around ponds if you want health and safety. Put barriers around reservoirs if you want great health and safety initiatives. Why do health and safety in the nuclear reactor plants? I mean, I... you know, it's rethinking these regulators rather than just letting them sit there from their offices, just going, "Oh, what's the regulation we're thinking of today?" It's go inside these industries and help them there, and help the consumer, mm. of course. Absolutely. And um, final, final question of the podcast. Yeah. How do we reinvent regulators uh, so they actually work? I mean, we answered regulator shops so they actually all work. We kind of answered this question, but uh, how would you do it, Dad? How would I do it? Um, the way I would do it is simple. I would, first of all, uh, get rid of most of these incompetent regulators, first of all. Second, secondly, what I would do is I would get government departments and local authorities to do the regulation. So, for example, 
I would allow the Department of Energy to regulate off-gen prices, to regulate energy prices. Because I do believe that the government, that I'd have an independent board of eight people, of people who work in the energy industry, people who are consumers, people who are industry people and union officials to decide every year what the price cap is. I would have that price cap rigorously enforced. But I want to decide from people on independent panels, take it out of politics, take it out of industry and get the experts to do it. I would do that. I would say to a lot of these regulatory authorities, what are you doing? Is it helping the consumer? Is it helping to create jobs? Is it helping to create more industry? If it's not, you're abolished. We've yeah. got to have regulation has to have three focuses to create jobs. To ensure there is worker safety and worker safety and consumer safety, and to ensure people are not being screwed, whether that's through cuts yeah. in pay, whether that's through abusement of conditions, etc. And if the regulation is not sufficing in these three areas, we must get rid of it and reinvent it with a new regulation that will be more adapting for the time. Not a question of just you know a massive reduction of regulations, though that is on the cards. It's say let's go through each one of them and say, is, is it creating jobs? Is it ensuring worker safety? Is it ensuring the consumers getting a safe deal? Is it helping in industrial terms? And if it's not, abolish it. Mm. And if if we need to replace it, replace it. If not, so much the better. And it's also, for God's sake, for government to actually stop doing these silly studies. For example, we spent £50 million on a study last year that showed it's happier to your people are happier when they're rich. That cost oh. us fifty million pounds last year. That it is a month study, a <laughs> month study to show that people are happier when they're rich. Do you think? Do, 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 do you think? Do you think that study was just that fifty million pounds was given to that study, man? Oh, I'm really happy. I think <laughs> I was just only one disgruntled employee thought I'm just gonna take the piss out of my boss here. Do let's do it. I mean, we, I remember a couple of years ago. We had a hundred. We spent those. Uh, we spent on councils nearly three billion pounds subsidising hotels for local authorities when there were that when there were nearly two hundred thousand empty homes in the UK. We waste so much money in this country on incompetence on bureaucracies. When we and then we and then what do we say? We then say ah, we must now cut the schools and the hospitals and the frontline services and not address these great bu- like in America. Perfect example, America. Okay. In America, do you know the IRS has a 25% error rate? Mm. The IRS is the Internal Revenue Service. It's like the tax authorities in Britain. They have a 25% error rate in processing taxes. So you submit your tax to the IRS. They then come back to you and say the tax you submitted was wrong. Then you have to go to court to prove that you were actually correct and they were in the wrong. And then they get proved like a bunch of idiots. And then they have to pay you out $30 million as compensation. Because of their idiocy. I remember Speaker Gingrich was saying, what if everybody in America submitted 25% less than what they actually owe in taxes as a way of telling the IRS to get lost? That'd be quite funny, actually. No, 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 is is that within your error rate? Can you tolerate that now? (laughs) I mean, the FDA in America, right? Do you know how many people who work in the Food and Drug Administration have actually worked in food or drugs? I'm going to stun you here, James. I'm going to stun you. None. Oh, really? Not one person. It's like with NASA, right? We spent 
let me get my figures right. I'm gonna quickly wrap up with NASA, and then I'm gonna then we're gonna round up the episode, and you can leave. I need to leave by now. Okay, NASA budget in 1960 to 1968. In the eight years we put a man on the moon, what was the NASA budget? We spent five billion dollars on. So we went fifty billion dollars on NASA. Okay, throughout the 1960s, when we put a man on the moon. Okay, in the last three years, we have spent sixty-seven billions on NASA. It makes you think, what do they do all day? Other other than sit around and just think space thoughts. And just they just sit around all day and think, what's next to do about space? It's like, you know, one more thing. And I'll leave and I'll I'll leave it with this, because I, I, I like talking about stuff because it gets me in a in a happy place, which is that the Wright brothers, the people who created the first aeroplane in this in the USA, right? Nineteen oh two. They created the first aeroplane that flies around New York. They develop out of their own money. They then learn how to fly. They crash. They Their experiment fails over 500 times. Okay? Now, they keep crashing. They keep learning to rebuild. And by 1903, they fly a plane around Manhattan. Now, the reporter who was covering it didn't ever take the piss out of them. Because he knew what they were doing. It's called an experiment. And they spent their own money to create a first aeroplane. Now, the Smithsonian, which is a very intellectual place where people just go straight into the ideas, created their own plane. They wanted to be big. So they put a massive high-powered engine. It was heavy. And they forgot an easy law of common sense. Light things fly easier than heavy things. And I'm not a physicist. I didn't do one physics. But even I know light things fly easier than heavy things. So what happens? It crashes. And... The Smithsonian get loads of articles on why that was a complete failure and they should hang their heads in shame. Now, what's the difference? The difference was that was ingenu- the, the Wright brothers used their ingenuity in a free society to develop the first aeroplane. And these government bureaucrats don't understand how to make a plane created a shit aircraft. Now, I think personally, the job of government is to ensure five principles. There is a free functioning healthcare system, a free and brilliant education system, that nobody's in poverty, everyone has a job, and we're adequately protected from international security. Oh, and the budget is balanced, that we have a good transport system, a clean mm-hmm. environment, an industrial Britain, and we have a, a moral society. That's it. It's not to go and tell yeah. people a bunch of shit regulations and stop ingenuity and enterprise. Right, now... We've really got to close. Otherwise, I could go on for another hour talking about ingenuity and enterprise. <laughs> um, but we'll do that in another episode. So, next week, next Saturday, we'll be talking about President Barack Obama and talking about why he was the worst president for the Democrats since Woodrow Wilson. Uh, the week after, Torin will be coming on, episode 20. Remember Torin? Talking about my paper on reforming the NHS. And then we'll be doing the end of our president series and we'll be talking about the bowles stimson commission about fiscal responsibility and debt reduction so that's the plan for the next three weeks oh and after that we'll get talking about mental health and social care then we'll be talking about uh, medicare reform in the essay and then after that six weeks later we will start our new series on the podcast the prime ministers and we're going from atlee to churchill to eden to macmillan Wilson. We're gonna start. We're gonna start from Lord North of the war. <laughs> Lord, yeah, start with Lord North and go onwards. We're gonna do everyone from Atlee to Churchill to Eden to Macmillan. 
Warren Dig was Douglas Hume because he was there for nine months. Then Wilson, then Heath, then Jim Callahan, then Margaret Thatcher, John Major, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, Cameron May, Johnson, and Elizabeth Truss. And that will take us through more British politics uh, onwards and upwards. All right, until next Saturday, goodbye.